All right, now we now come to the final parable of Jesus, given a response. How many of you have been with me for these last three Wednesdays where we've gone over these parables? How many have not been with me for that? Okay, just a few. Most everybody has been, all right, so you know what I'm talking about. We, we've come to the final parable of Jesus, given in response to his disciples three questions. When will these things be? When Jesus said the temple's coming down, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, they asked three questions, and I understand the questions. They said, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Powerful questions. Now, Jesus provided for them and for us an incredible, long-running prophetic discourse concerning things both near and far. The first half of his response in Matthew 24 concerned the coming fall of Jerusalem. Now, Jesus gave this in around 33 AD, and it happened in 70 AD. So a mere 37 years and some change after Jesus predicted the fall of the te- the total destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem, it happened. And so he was telling those who would be there to see this what was coming. The second half of Matthew 24, all the way through the end of Matthew 25, deals with the signs of his return and of the end of the age. And, and I got to tell you, from Matthew 24, verse 3, all the way to the end of 25, Jesus makes it very, very crystal clear, I'm coming back. I am coming back. Not metaphorically, not in a figure of speech. I am literally returning to earth one day bodily. And he wraps up his predictions with four parables. And these parables kick in around the end of chapter 24 and they take up the rest of 25, all dealing with his eventual return and the need to be ready for it. That's the gist of all the parables. You better be ready. Each of the parables delineates some form of responsibility to the believer, except the last one, the one we're going to deal with tonight. The first three all have to do with some responsibility on our part. Now, here they are taken in order. The first parable, the parable of the householder is about communal responsibility, how the church treats one another. How did you love one another? How did you care for one another? That's the first parable. And then the second parable of the ten virgins deals with personal responsibility, how the individual believer keeps his own lamp burning. You know, I can preach the word to you, I can teach the word to you, and I can let others preach and teach to me, but only I and only you can keep our own lamps burning. It's up to us to get up every day and get into that word and go into prayer and essentially put oil in the lamp so that I keep burning, burning, burning. It's never God's intention we burn out, only that we burn on. People that burn out fail to take care of themselves. Now, that's, that's, just, that's another message. The third parable of the talents deals with kingdom responsibility. So the parable of the talents, the third one, is kingdom responsibility. So you've got communal responsibility, personal responsibility, kingdom responsibility. The kingdom responsibility has to do with how well we as individuals and collectively as a church distribute the riches of his gospel to a lost and dying world. That's the talents. It means riches, the the gold of the kingdom. That's the gospel and everything the gospel brings with it. 
So those are the first three. Now the fourth one, the last parable, is of the sheep and the goats. Now this parable focuses on the last question the disciples asked Jesus. What was it? What's going to be the sign of the end of the age? What will be the sign, Jesus, of the end of the age? In this last parable, we have the end of all things. We're going to read it in just a minute. But we have the end of all things as you and I have known them. Life ends as we have known it with the introduction of this parable, what we find in this parable. Life as we have known it has ended. The king has returned. Let's read this incredible parable. This is Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. And I'm going to zip right through it, so pay attention real close. This is rich stuff. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, said Jesus, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Boy, could I play with that politically. If you're a leftist, I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then verse 35, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food, thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous are shocked and they answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, let's read this next part together. Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. That's the key to the parable right there. We just read the key to understanding this parable. So I'm going to be coming back to that. Then look at verse 41. Then he will also say to the leftists, those on the left hand, depart from me. Oh, these are tough words. Depart from me, you cursed. Into where, everybody? So where do these people get off that there's no hell? Because isn't this out of the mouth of Jesus? And how long does that fire last? See, that's just incomprehensible to me. But there it is, the words of Jesus, straight up. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. Thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. Naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't pay me a visit. Then they will answer him saying, just what the other ones did, but reversed. Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and didn't minister to you? He will answer them saying, read it with me, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it, To one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. That's the key to the parable. And these will go away, read the next words with me, into everlasting punishment, 
but the righteous into eternal life. Both fates are forever. Everlasting punishment, eternal life. Everlasting in the Greek, it's ages upon ages and ages more. It is ages without end or eternal life. Both fates show that we possess a soul that is eternal. We possess an eternal soul. Every human being does. So Jesus preached hell as well as heaven more than anybody in the Bible. Essentially, if you want to get right down to it, I hate to say this to you, to some of you who are sensitive about it, but he really was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Sometimes, not always, but when he went into hell, he went in in overdrive, and he talked about it. No uncertain terms. Now, first we have here the long-anticipated return of Jesus in this parable. The scene before us is taking place on earth, not in heaven. Jesus has come to earth a second time, not as a lamb to be slaughtered, but as a king to reign. All right? All the nations of the world are gathered before him. We see that there are no other political rulers, no presidents, no dictators, no kings. The one and only ruler is the Lord himself. He's the only one on the scene. There are no dissenting voices. Do you hear any? There's not any. No resistance to his presence. No competition for his position. There's no voting. There's no democratic process. He has been installed by God. The verse in Revelation has now come true. Listen to this prediction that John made. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Notice, the kingdom of the world has been transferred and changed into the kingdom of our Lord. Aren't you glad that one day there is going to be a ruler who was not elected? All right? Now, I say that in a good way, but... A king of kings, lord of lords, a righteous ruler, a fair ruler, a loving ruler. One that won't tell you one thing, do another. He'll never lie. And he's going to rule the world with a scepter of righteousness. This is what we're seeing in this final parable. And Jesus himself is giving us the parable and making himself the lead character. I'm the lead character in this parable. And he was in all the parables he gave. He was the lead, primary subject in every parable he gave. Now, Jesus has returned to establish the kingdom, long predicted by the prophets, such as Isaiah, who wrote of the greatness of his government and peace. Hear that? His government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. And here's the operative word, and forever. So we're not talking about a temporary, easy come, easy go, there for four years, then gone, kingdom. We're talking about when he's installed, it's forever. Now, do you believe that's coming? Oh, yes. You better know it's coming. You better know, because here's Jesus telling us in every single parable that it's coming. 
Now, the next thing we see is Jesus dividing the nations into two categories. Very interesting here. He says, on his right are sheep, on his left are goats. The sheep are placed at his right hand, the goats on the left. Now, it helps to remember at this point, the original great commission of Jesus. And I want you just to pause and let's look at that great commission. Look at what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of who? All the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now catch this, because this plays into this parable, ties into this parable. The Lord commanded that his ministers take the gospel and penetrate every nation with not only the message of salvation, but they are then to go and disciple those who have believed in the teachings and in the lifestyle Jesus taught. Jesus foresaw all the nations of the world as being presented with the gospel, with having to make a choice. This is real important. Jesus saw every nation. Now, that that word is ethnos, and we get ethnicity from it. So he's saying all races of people, all individuals that comprise a nation, that by the time he returns again, every nation will have been visited by gospel preachers, and will have heard the claims of Jesus Christ. And they had to make a choice. What did you do with Jesus? What what are you going to do with Jesus? Now, at the end of time, when he returns, all of these same nations of the world, this is where the parable takes us, all of these same nations of the world are brought before him to be sifted and judged. All the nations. China, Russia, Africa, all the countries on all the continents, every people group will all be brought before the returned Messiah who is sitting on a throne calling all of them before himself. Heavy stuff. But Jesus never was Tiny Tim tiptoeing through the tulips, was he? Uh, When you heard Jesus talking and he moved and did what he did on earth, you were watching and hearing God. He He said to one of his disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen God. Why are you asking me to show you God? If you've seen me, you've seen God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, read the red ink in your Bible, because you will see what God is like by reading about Jesus. He was a perfect reflection of the Father. So the Lord commanded that his ministers take the gospel, penetrate every nation with the message of salvation and discipling the converts. And all of those nations are going to be making a choice whether to obey or not obey the gospel. So at the end of time when he returns... All of these same nations of the world are brought before him to be sifted and judged. And during this epical event, all national boundaries are obliterated. The nations aren't treated on the basis of race or a political position or size or wealth or achievement or any of those things. None of these people are standing before him going, you know, I'm, I'm a, a European, I'm an American, I'm a, a, a Londoner, I, you know, I'm an African. None of that. 
All those boundaries have disappeared. They are all now facing the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, no longer the Lamb of God come to be slaughtered, but the Lion of Judah come to rule. And isn't it interesting that he breaks them up into just one of two categories. You are one of two in this judgment. You're a sheep or you are a goat. The time of reckoning has come in this parable. What will be the sign of the end of the age, Lord? He's answering it right here. This is what it's going to look like. Now, Jesus turns first to those on his right, the sheep. I want you to notice what he says to them. Isn't this what you want to hear? Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But here's my question to you. And this is what I was asking myself as I read this. On what basis are they allowed in? What is it that made them a sheep and the other one goats? And why are they getting in and the goats aren't getting in? What, what made the difference? What was, the, what was the, the defining thing that made them eligible and others weren't? And Jesus answers it. And it's not what you would expect. He says to them, oh, well, I'll tell you how you're getting in. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Stranger, you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. The sheep are shocked. They don't know what to say. They say, wait a minute, we remember feeding some folks and we remember visiting some, some people and, and, and helping people that were ill and, and, and going and, and, and encouraging those that were in prison, but we never did that to you. This is news to us, Lord. Did we do something we didn't know about? Here's what the king answers. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Wow. Now, here's a principle of life, folks. I got to tell you, what we're about to look at, I have been consistently surprised that so many in the body of Christ don't get what I'm about to show you. They don't understand the servant-master relationship, and how delegated authority should be received based on who sent them. Watch this. Now, first, we got to go. He says, he says, inasmuch you did it toward the least of these, my brethren. So who's the brethren? Who's the brethren? Let's answer that first. Who's the brethren? Inasmuch as you did it to this one, this one, and this one, my brethren, you actually did it to me. Now, for the longest time, I thought he was talking about the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, in uh, really uh, all honesty, I've taught that it was the Jewish people. But we grow, don't we? We grow in our understanding. And, and now, i got to tell you, I think that's weak. I don't think it's just the Jewish people. Matter of fact, I don't think he's talking about the Jewish people at all. Look at what John said. He came to his own, the Jew, and his own didn't receive him. I used to read that and say, oh, well, see, that was the Jew. Because his own is talking about the Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish. 
We have an olive-skinned Savior. So I used to read that and go, well, that makes sense. Then you look at the parable of the sheep and the goats, and the brethren he's talking about had to be the Jew. But after closer study, i got to tell you, I think we can find a better answer. And it's found in Matthew 12, 46 to 50. Jesus was moving strong in his ministry. And it says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Now here's Mary and his bros. All right? His, his mom and his brother, half-brothers. Because they didn't have the same daddy. You got that? Now, because Jesus' daddy was God. All right. Now, then somebody said to him, hey, Lord, look, your mom and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, look what he said, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So when we hear him say in the parable, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren. He's not talking about the Jew. He's talking about those who have put their faith in him and experienced redemption by his blood and have been born twice by the Spirit of God. That's who he's talking about. Jesus is talking about Christians, whether they're Jewish, Caucasian, black, white, yellow, red, green, purple, it doesn't matter. He's talking about anybody washed in the blood of the Lamb who has been born twice and God is their Father and He is their Savior. He said, that's my brethren. That's my brethren. Now remember what Jesus said concerning His brethren, the Christians. The way you treated them is the way you treated me. That's what he's saying. The way you treated them, the way you treat them is the way you are treating me. Here's that principle. Here's that principle that when when somebody sends another in their name, how you receive the one sent is how you have received the sender. And this is what I'm amazed so many Christians don't understand. Because it's very important that you do. Because if you go start, for instance, attacking or undermining or really making life miserable and hellish for somebody that Jesus has sent, then eventually the one who sent them stands up on their behalf. And you're dealing with a whole different animal when he stands up on their behalf, and you're the one giving them grief. Or conversely, if you're blessing them and receiving them, then the one who sent them is going to bless you. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Isn't that what it said? So what you did or didn't do to the ones he sent you did or didn't do to me. Jesus said, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was sick, I was in prison, and you helped me. They said, where do we ever see you in any of these conditions? He said, when any of my children, my people, my brethren, 
or sick or in prison or in need and you help them, I took it personally. You helped me. Oh, this matters, folks. You did it to me. I think of the day that Saul, before he was Paul, was breathing out threatenings and whatnot against the church, and he had seen people killed. He was there when Stephen was martyr, the very first martyr of the church. It says Saul stood there in agreement with them, killing him for simply preaching Jesus. And he was hauling people off to jail. He was separating families. He was terrifying the Christian community. And this Saul was knocked down to the ground, and Jesus appeared to him. And what did Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, wait a minute, I don't even know you. He said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. (laughs) No, 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 Lord, you got it wrong. I've been persecuting your kids. And Jesus said, you persecuted them, you persecuted me. You came against them, you came against me. You gave them grief, you gave me grief. And now I have stood up on their behalf and knocked you on your face, and taken your sight from you, and I'm going to use you, boy. Okay? So let me just boil this down to its conclusion. The label of sheep or goat was placed on the nations based on what they had done with Jesus. That's what it comes down to. That's why one was a sheep and the other was a goat. Why? Because the sheep had received the messenger, the message from the messenger who was sent by Jesus. And when they received the message from the messenger, they got saved and received him. And that's why they're sheep. The goats had said, no, 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 I don't want him. I don't want this message. Don't like you either. Going to give you some grief. Going to persecute you. And he said, the day's going to come. What's going to be the sign of the end of the age? When everybody gets their comeuppance, everybody, you're going to be a sheep or a goat, and there's no in-between. Saved or lost, blind or you see, hell-bound or heaven-bound. That's the message of the parable. To receive his ambassadors is to receive him. To persecute, harass, and abuse his ambassadors reflects directly on whether or not you received him. You know, this may sound terrible and insensitive, and I don't mean it that way at all. I have a family. I have three, three sisters and mother who's probably watching right now. She watches every Wednesday night. Um, hi, Mom. Um, and um, so, so I have a family, but, but I got to tell you, ask me who I'm closer to. My family or the family of God? Now, if my sisters walked with God, one of them does, I would feel the same way. But isn't there something about the family of God we're closer to? Blood bought, blood washed. I'm not saying, you know, dish your family or anything like that. But even Jesus said, hey, what do you mean? My mother, my brothers. Here's my mother. Here's my brothers. Those who do the will of God, those are my brethren. I'm closer to them. I'm tighter with them. We've got a stronger thing going than I do with my own family. Because it had said his own family 
until the end, didn't believe in him. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke's gospel. He said, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Can we say that together? Whoever listens to you, listens to me. You're his rep. You're his messenger. You're his ambassador. And when you go and you share him with someone else, Jesus said, if they listen to you, they've listened to me. Look how much trust he puts in you and me. Isn't it amazing? Man, you talk about a a, a humbling uh, uh, position to be in, that we are actually representatives of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are heaven's diplomats. And so when we share Jesus with somebody, Jesus said, if they listen to you, they listen to me. But watch this, whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. So the Lord just gave us a hierarchy. God sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit. The Spirit sent you. And if, if, if they receive you, they've received him, Jesus, Messiah. And if they receive him, they've received the one who sent him. Wow. So in light of all that, where's America tonight? Because isn't America more and more and more attacking God's kids? Oh, Pastor Jeff, don't get political. You were doing good until he went political. This isn't political. This is very spiritual. If you've got a mom and a pop who have a bakery and that's their whole life, and they very politely say, you know, I just cannot involve myself in baking and putting together a cake for a homosexual marriage because I I don't agree with that lifestyle, and it's against my my conscience. So in America, I have freedom of conscience and freedom of speech and freedom of religion. So if you don't mind, I I just just am going to decline. And to have the state shut them down and fine them. Whosoever did it the least to one of these, my brethren, did it to me. Ah. Listen to what he said in John's gospel. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Do you see the same principle? But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they don't know him who sent me. Everything God does is by delegated authority. Everything he does. You know, is Jesus standing here teaching you tonight? Well, he is by the Spirit. The teacher of the church is here, the Spirit. But he's using an old boy with skin on him. Me. Right? Because he delegated this to me. Now, when you're out there in your workaday world and you got a co-worker and you got family, you got friends around you, and you open your mouth and you say, let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. What they do with what you say reveals whether or not they've accepted him. If they receive you, they're going to receive him. If they reject you, they're going to reject him. You can't get away from delegated authority. God, everything God does is by delegated authority. Everybody in this room, well, most all of you, 
I assume, I trust, are saved. How'd you get saved? He sent somebody. And when he sent them, you received them. And when you received them, you received him. You, you received the message the messenger brought on behalf of another. It's the same thing with healing, same thing with deliverance. Why do we lay hands on the sick? Because as a delegated authority, I'm standing in his stead, so I lay hands on you in the name of the Lord for your healing, and, and should the Lord heal you, it wasn't of me. I'm not a healer. There is no healer on earth but Jesus. But how did it happen? He used a delegated authority, and his power flowed through a delegate. This is the way God operates. And I preached so long, I lost my iPad. There it is. So are you with me? See, so, so it's very important that we understand this it, it, for a lot of reasons. Here's one of the main ones. When God sends somebody into your life, they're not going to be perfect. They're going to be flawed. They're going to make mistakes. They're not going to be um, everything you wish they were. Now I'm talking about a minister, and I'm not pointing at me. I'm saying any minister, anywhere, anybody who's coming to you in the name of the Lord. You have to look through the imperfections and receive the one who sent them. Not, well, they got this flaw and that flaw, so I just don't receive them anymore. Now, I'm not talking about if they're in sin. If they're in sin, they've disqualified themselves to represent God in your life. But if they're not in sin, they just have flaws, like we all do. It's very, very wise to say, you know what, I'm just going to overlook those flaws and I'm not going to be a nitpicker and I'm not going to be a critic and I'm not going to make a big deal out of nothing and I'm not going to make a mountain out of a molehill because they are bringing a message from the, from, from the king to me and he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Most ministers leave churches, and they do it all the time, because they can't handle the criticism anymore. They get tired of it. Now, they shouldn't. They ought to be able to take it and just say, you know, whatever. Water off a duck's back. Consider the source and all those little psychological mechanisms we use. But it's very important that we realize how important it is to receive who he sends. So where's that place, America, tonight? I think America is cruising for a bruising. Because we used to send out missionaries. We used to honor the Christian church. We used to honor the Sabbath. On Sundays, you couldn't find any place open but church houses. We honored God. But now we're just dissing God, blaspheming against God. Mocking God, double-dog daring God to do anything about the sin in our life. When he stands up, he can stand up in life, in real time, and bring one chastening to a person or a nation, or he can wait until the day of the sheep and the goats. The sheep are those who heard the gospel and were saved. It's that simple. The fruit that resulted from their salvation was the good works that followed their faith. The goats rejected the message, rejected the messenger, and the one who sent the messenger, and they were lost. 
And Jesus said, depart into an everlasting flame. But the goats enter into an eternal life. It matters what we do with Jesus. Huh? Is it? Okay. My wife just told me I said it backwards. The sheep enter into everlasting life. The goats enter into everlasting destruction. Good, they can edit that. So I don't get mail. Thank you, Kathy. So let me do it perfect. The sheep enter into eternal life. The goats into everlasting destruction. Cut. All right. How many of you understand the sheep and the goats now? All right, let's stand up together, can we? And next week, the Be Happy Attitudes. And it is so good. It's such good stuff. How many of you could stand some happiness? Wow. Now, where Jesus said, blessed are the humble in spirit, blessed are the poor. You know what blessed means? Happy to be envied. Happy and to be envied. So he's going to give us eight keys to happiness. And we're going to look at some of them next week. Father, thank you for your word tonight and for this final parable of four. Thank you for showing us our responsibilities before you, communal, personal, kingdom. Thank you for showing us what it's going to look like at the end of the age. And, oh, Lord, we trust tonight that because of your blood, we are sheep. We pray for those who don't know you. We only know you by amazing grace. May your grace, Lord, spread. Help us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with thousands and tens of thousands more, millions, that many, many more will go from goat to sheep on that great day. Can you lift your hands and just say, Lord, thank you for your grace.